my brother, friends and family, this is Adam Mitter. Adam, I'm going to ask you the same question, my friend. Why are you coming into these baptismal waters today? I, I, I don't count my life as my own anymore. My life belongs to Jesus Christ, and I'll do whatever he says and go wherever he says. I just want to follow you. Amen. Amen. What do you think about that, sir? My brother Adam, because of your testimony, Jesus Christ is your king. Yeah. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Very good Christ in baptism. Ready to walk and move to life. Amen. Amen. Church family, let's continue to worship. Y'all may be seated. Well, we're beginning a new sermon series beginning today. And so for those of you that missed the last one, um, it was a really good one because we were talking about Jesus. So if you missed that, you can always go to our website and you can listen to those. Um, as we introduce this sermon series today, each week we're going to have someone who's going to step up, and they're going to share a little bit of their testimony. Obviously, you can't pack sometimes 30, 40, 50, 60 years of life into a 10-minute testimony. So we're just giving folks an opportunity to give uh, the bride and the body of Christ an opportunity um, to see what Christ has done, that our King has done in the lives of His people and I share this with everyone, is that our testimony, can we turn this down a little bit? I don't want to hear myself quite that much. Um, share with you guys that it's not the testimony, the focal point is always Jesus. King Jesus, that's my testimony. And while many of us who were saved later in life, we focus on the things that Jesus saved us from, our testimony isn't about what he saved us from. That's a piece of it. But the most important part of the piece is what Jesus has saved us for. See, because not all of us can look and say, well, God redeemed me from a life of addiction, that God has redeemed me from being homeless, that God has redeemed me into my 60s or 70s, and in those last moments of my life that I have an opportunity. But we can all say, and we can all agree on, and we're unified in what our King has saved us for. Amen? And so as you listen today, I'm going to invite my friend and my brother who was just baptized, Adam, to step up here today. And I want you to lean in, and I want you to listen to not only what God has saved him from, but what God has saved him for. He's right. You can't cram 30 or 40 or 50 years, especially when you talk slow like me. So... Um, but my name is Adam Mitter, for those of you that don't know me. Can you hear me? Okay. And um, basically, I uh, was um, blessed by God to be born into a Christian house. And uh, my parents, were, who are here today, are, brought me up in church and uh, ministered to me all, all, all of my early life. Um, there was a point where I uh, prayed a prayer, a salvation prayer, um, 
and was baptized, but the reality is that there was always two Adams. There was the Adam that was at church, and there was the Adam that was everywhere else. You know, in the high school, I was started drinking and smoking marijuana and doing all kinds of dumb stuff, you know. And then I was also a, a leader in the youth group and, and different things like that. Um, so that's the way my life was until I graduated high school, and then the church Adam disappeared, <laughs> and uh, unfortunately. This is future mayor of Texas. No. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> Up here? All right. All right, they're saying I'm not holding it high enough. I don't really like the microphone. But anyway, so I graduated from high school. I joined the Army, and... Um, the church, Adam, really basically just completely disappeared. The extent of my Christian walk was, if somebody asked me if I was a Christian, the answer would be, of course I'm a Christian. Like, why would you even ask me that? You know, obviously, I'm in America, I'm a Christian, you know, or whatever. But, um, so, but things got uh, incrementally worse. It's getting louder. Is that better? Anyway, things got worse and worse and worse. Um, by the time I got out of the Army, I was a full-blown alcoholic. Uh, not long after, I started um, using methamphetamines. Uh, destroyed, over the next 10 years, destroyed every relationship that had any value um, in my life. Uh, was in and out of jail and prison. And uh, overcome by guilt and shame and bitterness and... Um, anything that's the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit pretty much had a stranglehold on me. Um, but there came a point in my life, June 2011, I, I committed a crime and it went very badly and uh, I, I knew that I was being looked for by the police and eventually would be caught. Uh, they caught me in January and um, I really just I cried out to God, you know, I, I had been in and out of jail and, and there were, when I got locked up, I was like, I was like the Pharaoh, like, if you make this play go away, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm with your people from then on out. But that wasn't the truth, not at all. Um, so uh, I really, and every time I got locked up, I saw this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, and I know the plans I have for you, I'm sure most of you are familiar with that, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, give you hope in a future. And I was like, man, you know, I had really come to a place where it was like, this is what God destined for me. This is who God made me to be, uh, a, a criminal drug addict uh, with no valuable relationships. And uh, I cried out to God at that point and, and said, hey, is this, is, obviously I'm missing something or something because I'm a Christian and this, you know, but this is, is this really what you want for me? And so through the, through, as I, as I, as I started to go through the scriptures at that point, it was really like a, a fast moving, like dominoes that were lined up and they just started to fall into place. And God just revealed himself to me, um, through the Holy Spirit. And, uh, what I came to know, um, the short version of it is that if I was to start a prayer with Father, I would be lying because he wasn't my Father. And if I was to start with Lord, Lord, I would be lying because he was not my Lord. And I don't know that he ever was. Um, and so as I wrestled with that, um, 
I came face to face with the reality that uh, not only was my life here a complete disaster, but I was I was on a fast track to hell, you know. Um, and so in that process, God uh, transformed me. I believe at that point I became a new creation. Uh, he took away, which, you know, in that time, I, I just, I wouldn't even talk to my family because I was like, well, I'm going to wait until I get clean and there's good news and then I'm going to call them. And so shame and guilt really kept me from even interacting with them. Um, but anyways, God started to unpack this stuff and to, um, to renew me and, and to just change my life. And he really did. He removed, completely removed um, the desire to do drugs uh, and like I said, the like I said before, like the opposites of the fruits of the spirit is what I was consumed with, and then after that, just that was the greatest gift. Like I got, praise God, I got relationships with my family back, and I got uh, I got a good, decent job, and and all these other things. But the peace and the joy um, that I experienced really was far outweighed any material thing, and. And uh, kind of like Pastor Kevin said, not so much what I was saved from, but the reality, the reality that I, that I faced while I was in there is, is kind of like in the baptism, like it's just a perfect picture of, you know, if only in this life we have hope in Christ, then we are indeed the most pitiable. And so I think that's kind of what God's been uh, working on me now. I know. Okay, I'm good. All right. So, um, you know, God has continued to mold me and, and sanctify me. And I think most recently, I'll just run through real quick, as the pandemic came up, I think was kind of what spurred me into this state of growth and emotion that I'm kind of in right now. And I, as, I, I don't know, everybody probably was affected by it a little bit differently, but I'm going to be honest that initially I, I felt a lot of anxiety and a lot of all kinds of different emotions, you know, and I didn't really understand what I was feeling, and I came to a place where it was like, God was like, okay, what it is is you're afraid to die, and of course, obviously nobody wants to go through the process of dying, but as Christians, as I was reading the Bible and seeing the, the apostles and what they did and how it was just like, okay, it's not we might die. It's like we're going to die a premature death because we're going to do what Jesus Christ told us to do. And we're going to do it with joy. I mean, they got beat and they walked away like, thank you, God, that we were counted worthy of that. And uh, so... Um, I believe that about nine years ago, I became a new creation in Christ, but I think uh, like most of us, we, we go through, you know, different things in life and kind of stray away from the gospel a little bit, and so I'm grateful just that God recently has brought me back to the, just the simplicity and the powerful truth of the gospel that, like Pastor Kevin said, we're, we're saved from things in this world and we can celebrate that, but... Um, even greater than that, man. We can we do what we do here for Jesus, and then and then we come up out of this out of this life like I did out of that baptism, and we're like, praise God, you know. So, anyways, that's my story. I hope it's an encouragement to you. I, I want to say also that um, you know you could. 
I'm sure some people would say, well, you were saved when you were a kid, you just didn't. And that's, you know, I don't know, that's up for debate, I guess. But I would encourage you, you know, Jesus obviously said that not everybody who thinks they know him, know him. And I know it's very unpopular to challenge people's faith. But I want to encourage you that if you're not 100% sure, go ahead and wrestle with it. There's nothing wrong with wrestling with your faith and asking God to, um, you know, to to give you 100% certainty of the blessed assurance, the hope, the peace um, that only he can give. And uh, I'll also say that everything that, I think everything that everybody, everybody that ever prayed for me, ministered to me, um, preached, talked to me about God um, up until that encounter in Dallas County Jail when I was 32, I think everything, all of that was the process of God drawing me to himself and I think everything, every time somebody prays for me now or talks to me or ministers to me, it's part of the sanctification process. And so I just want to thank everybody here that's been a part of that, been used by God. And I'm just, I'm grateful to him and I'm glad to live my life for him. your rescue story? King Jesus, my testimony. We just wrapped up, as I said, a seven-week series in Psalm 107. That very first word, yada, right? Abandon, not give thanks, not praise God, but yada, abandon. Abandon unto Yahweh to give him our everything. See, you can't fake it, right? When you jump off of a diving board, you either leave the diving board and you go into the water or you get to the edge and you stay there. There's no in-between. And that's the life of a Christian. See, we either go into those baptismal waters. That's just a picture, a symbol. We either do it in reality. We dive in, all of us, not poured, not sprinkled. That's why we say the picture needs to be full immersion. Jesus, I'm not giving you my my big toe. I'm not giving you my leg. I'm not giving you a little bit of skin on my forehead and my body. Say everything, all of it. Take all of it. The old me, let me be crucified with Christ in those baptismal waters. And let me be raised to walk in newness of life because you are my king. You are my rescue story. We asked a question, what does it look like? We looked at that last verse, Psalm 107, 43, up there on the screen for you. And it reads, whoever is skilled, that's the Hebrew word wise, chokmah, whoever is skilled, wise, will guard these, not these things, as some of our translations will read. It's just simply in the Hebrew, these, which leads you to ask, these what? So we probed a little bit, guard these, not Bible factoids and trivia, not biblical principles, not legalism, not religion or traditions, because remember, Jesus said that the Pharisees did all those things, right? 
But the one thing that they didn't have was a relationship with the king. So if your life and your relationship with Christ is is identified by anything other than his lordship, we're missing it. We're not living that skilled life. Whoever is skilled will guard these, and in doing so, will reveal Yahweh and his covenantal love. We asked a question, who are these in your life? Who's the who? I don't know if you've heard of a man named C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis has since gone on to be with the Lord, prolific writer, was an atheist into his middle ages, and he came to know Christ. Christ became his rescue story. And then he began to take all of the skills and the gifts that God had given him in writing and being a prolific author, and he poured all of that into writing some of the greatest apologetics that have ever been written, not just in the last century, ever. Books like The Weight of Glory, Mere Christianity, and so on. And if you've never read anything by C.S. Lewis, I'd encourage you to do so. But there's a quote up here, and this is an excerpt. This isn't word for word. This is an excerpt because I didn't want the font to be so small no one could read it. But C.S. Lewis writes something that's very profound, that should rock you to your core, that when you came in here this morning, take a moment just to look around. I want you to do that. I want you to look around the room. Make eye contact with a few people. It's awkward. It's weird, right? Why? Why is it awkward and weird to be among your brothers and sisters in Christ? See, C.S. Lewis said that no one here, no one who walks on this planet, whoever has, whoever will, is a mere mortal. If we've been forged and created in the image and the likeness of God... How do you treat other people who are image bearers of Christ our King? There are no ordinary people, Lewis says. You have never talked to a mere mortal, but it is immortals who we joke with, who we work with and marry, snub and exploit, immortal immortal horrors, everlasting splendors. But our merriment must be of that kind which exists between people who have from the onset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. Does that define you and your attitude towards the people who are sitting here with you today? Does it define your attitude towards every person, whether it's someone like Adam who decades ago was an addict, maybe homeless, groveling in the street, asking for money. Did you simply step over that person as the rich man did to Lazarus in the New Testament? And because of that, because of the way that we treat other human beings, other image bearers, That rich man was on the other side of a great chasm with no hope of ever crossing over. See, it doesn't matter whether or not you've asked Jesus into your heart. It doesn't matter if you've gone into the baptismal waters and say, I got completely wet. It doesn't matter. What matters is whether or not he's your king. 
And if he's your king, it will change the way you see other people. It will change the way you see yourself. Is it true? 2 Corinthians 13, 5, the Apostle Paul challenges us as people who think that we're in relationship with Christ because that is the great delusion, right? It's the great delusion is that we think because we go to church on Sunday, because we grew up in youth group, because we went to camp, because we've taken Holy Communion, because we've done some kind of external thing that we're good, that we're in right relationship with our Creator. And Jesus is screaming at the top of his lungs desperately, does your life line up with this? Does it? Does your life line up with my word? Are you a servant? Are you completely holy and utterly abandoned unto you, unto me, Jesus says. And Paul asks, examine yourselves. See, because if we never examine ourselves, it's kind of like the person, many of you who are younger don't even know what a checkbook is, but if you're a little bit older, just because you have checks in your checkbook does not mean you've got money. It doesn't. It's okay to laugh. We're all friends here. Relax. It's okay. Paul challenges us and says, examine yourselves. When you go into the Word and you see what the Pharisees acted like, the kind of lives that they lived, do you say, my life actually looks a lot more like that? Or does it look like his disciples who after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected, said, Lord, I want you to take everything. I don't want it to just be about the stuff that we did when we were walking around following you like puppy dogs, when you were walking on earth and we never got it. And we said, you know what? You need to stop coming next to Jesus. He doesn't have time for you. What are you doing? Who do you think you are touching his robe? Or... Does it look more like their lives? When the resurrected king ascended to heaven and said, you will be my witnesses. You will be my martyrs. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, as a matter of fact, you're going to be a testimony and witnesses to the risen king, to the very fringes, the very ends of the earth. And I want to ask you, Is that true? Is that a burden that God has laid on your heart? You say, well, I don't think Jesus is calling me to go to the ends of the earth. I don't think Jesus is calling me personally. You don't have to go to the ends of the earth, but you better be invested and involved in his mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And if that doesn't define something that's deeply ingrained in you and in your life, if you're sort of apathetic towards the gospel, reaching people who are lost in their sin, who are groveling, and you sort of have, I asked Jesus into my heart. I'm good. I've got my hell insurance policy. I'm fine. I feel really bad for that person over there, but I'm good. Do you look more like the rich man? Or do you look more like Lazarus, who went into Abraham's bosom? 
See, Paul wants us to examine ourselves. And many of us as Christians, as Adam said, is it's offensive to us. It's offensive to us when a pastor or a teacher or a friend leans in and says, hey, that doesn't really look like Jesus in your life. That doesn't really look like what I see in the gospel. Who are you? I'm your brother. And I love you because I don't want you to go where Adam was headed, where Kevin was headed until he was 35 years old. I don't want you to think that because when you were a little kid that you were sitting up here in Poetry Pals every Sunday and because you got baptized when all of your other friends got baptized that you're good. And then you're going to be standing there like the rich man going, could you go and tell my friends and my family? Could you tell, could you tell them? Could you send someone? I sent the word. And if you're sitting here today, you're hearing it. And you'll have no excuse. No excuse. So Paul challenges us, examine yourselves to see whether or not, go back, go back. Examine yourselves to determine if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not see for yourselves Jesus Christ in you? Not are you doing churchy stuff, Are you a religious person? I haven't missed church on a Sunday since I was one and a half years old. I've never had a drop of alcohol. I've never smoked that marijuana, that devil plant. I've never done any of those things. Self-righteous much? Or is it none of those externals? Or is it that my life is being conformed more and more and more every day into the image of my king to the point where it doesn't bother me one bit. It actually gives me great joy to get down on my knees and say, brother, can I wash your feet? It would be my joy and privilege to do so. I don't want to see Vincent's feet. I don't want to serve anyone. I'm just going to climb into my prayer closet and I'm going to pray for you. That's great. There's nothing wrong with prayer. It's awesome. See, but your prayers have to be lived out in the real world with lost, deluded, and disillusioned people. Does that define you? Does it? Ephesians 4.13 I'm going to read a little passage, and this is just the last, kind of the middle part of that section. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, And Christ himself gave some to be apostles, leaders, some to be prophets. A prophet isn't just someone who foretells the future. That's not what a prophet is. A prophet is a, a watchman. It's a guard. It's someone who speaks the truth, that God speaks to them and says, I want you to say this, Kevin. I don't call myself a prophet, but in some sense, someone who watches over the flock, someone who speaks the truth of God's word, they are a prophet. Some to be pastor teachers. Equipping the saints, that's you. That's the bride and the body of Christ. I want you to raise your hand if you're a saint. There's like three people. You're embarrassed. If you have been born again, 
by faith in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, raise your hand and say, I am a saint. I am a holy one of God. That's what it is. To equip the saints, that's not the super saints in some other faith traditions. Oh, saints so-and-so, I see their candles at Kroger and Walmart. Am I going to be on a candle someday? I think Shelly's working on doing a candle for St. Kevin. No. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why did God give you a pastor? To equip you for what? The work of ministry. That's what God's word says. So if you are not doing the work of ministry, what good is it to show up here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? That's like going to the hardware store and buying a five-gallon jug of paint every week and taking it home and say, boy, this wall would just look beautiful. This would be a beautiful blue wall. So I'm going to put that paint down and, oh, beautiful blue wall. Did you ever open the paint? Did you ever stick a roller or a brush in there and actually start painting? And then the next week you go and you buy another jug of paint and you go over and you set it down. It's going to be a beautiful blue wall. Now I've got 10 gallons, Tanya. I've got 10 gallons of blue paint. Surely that'll be enough. 15, 20. At some point, are you actually going to paint the wall? What good is paint if you never open it, if you never apply it? He's given you apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to do what? To build up the body of Christ. See, when we go out into the world and we reach lost people, do you know what you're doing? You're casting that net that Jesus said, I'm calling you to follow me so that you will be a fisher of men. That's not with your hook and a line. Not one at a time. Cast the net far and wide. Haul it in. Where's your haul? Where's your haul? Are you over there with your rod and your reel? Nothing yet. I'm not a fisherman, but if I went out and I was doing this and I never caught anything, I think I'd change something. So I tell my kids, if what you're doing's not working, try something different. See, because if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and it's not working, if there's no catch, if you're not hauling anything in, you're either not fishing or you're not doing it by the power of the Spirit. Because Jesus said to his disciples, throw out the net, and guess what happened? The catch was so huge, they could barely haul it in, and the net started to rupture. So big. Does that define the work of ministry that you're doing in your life? It's not an exception. See, the harvest is plenty, his word says, but the workers are few. So what category are you in? Oh, pastor. I don't like that. That's a little personal. He goes on to say, to build up the body of Christ until we all do what? We reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be children tossed about by waves and blown. We're not going to sit around talking about the benefit of tongues. 
We're not. We're not going to sit around and say whether or not those Pentecostals have it right or the Presbyterians have it right. See, because if we're all part of one body, there's not going to be a, a Baptist part of heaven. There's not going to be a, a Lutheran part of heaven. There's not going to be a Presbyterian. That's what C.S. Lewis is saying in mere Christianity. If you're a child of the king and we're all going to the same place, you read Revelation when we all go in, there aren't different heavens. We're all entering into the king's glory. And if you can't get along with them now down here, what's going to change? Maybe you need to change now. Tossed around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning and cleverness, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head. That's Christ. For him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. What's your part? Is your part just to show up on Sundays every once in a while, critique the sermon and say, Pastor, that one wasn't very good today. I don't really like that one. You've had better. Maybe you should spend more time in the Word this week. Maybe the problem's not with me. Are you a critic? What part of the body is that? Is it the appendix, the part that's unnecessary? The appendix just sits in there and ridicules all the... Hey, kidney, you're not doing a great job today. All right, you could bump a little better, be a little more efficient. Instead... of having this idea of shepherds and leaders to accomplish this very specific goal that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. Not to be religious CEOs, but shepherds to accomplish a very specific goal, to build up the body. Not to launch more campuses. Not that that's bad, but that can't be the reason. Not more Bible studies. It's not bad, but it can't be the reason to organize social events, a menu of elaborate programs, to get more Facebook likes, bigger buildings. It's for the purpose of unity. That's what it says. But instead, what we do is we invent our own standards, don't we? I see a couple of people saying, yeah, don't we? Don't we sit there and we come up with our own standards to measure whether or not we're walking in the faith instead of looking at passages like this? We come up with things like, how many people were here on Sunday? Who cares? You know what? If it was just you here today, I would still preach. And I would still pray that God would erupt into your life and that you would hear from him and that you would surrender. Just one. That's all it takes. So whether there's a congregation of 50,000 or one person, does it really matter? See, because when someone goes from death to life, all the angels in heaven rejoice. But we, in our flesh, what we do is we say, well, I don't know about that poetry church. It's kind of small. The building's old. It's kind of ugly. I don't know. That pastor's weird. He wears Hawaiian shirts and flip-flops. Self-righteous much? Judgmental? Hmm. Check that plank in the mirror, folks. Folks. 
How long do people hang out after service? Is that our measure? How many kids are running and laughing in the halls? What's our mission budget like? What's our doctrinal knowledge? How many people on staff? How many people on staff that have PhDs or THMs or whatever list of alphabet soup you want? Who cares? Give me one person obedient to the Holy Spirit and we will rock this world. Amen? As opposed to a whole host of people with all the letters and all of the accolades after their names. Nothing against it, but who cares? If you're not spirit-led, walking in the spirit for the glory of the risen king, then it's for nothing. Nothing. So what's our standard? John 17.23. King Jesus said that our unity or our disunity in worship is our only testimony. That's what this whole series is about. King Jesus my testimony. Jesus says that they will be, he's praying to the Father, and he says that they will be perfected in unity. Do y'all realize that Jesus, before he was crucified, before he died, before he was risen, before he ascended to heaven, before all of that in John 17, he prayed to the Father for you. He prayed for you specifically, for you. He prayed for you. How do you respond to that? He prayed not that you would ask Jesus into your heart, not that you would come to church more often, not that you would memorize more of the Bible. He prayed that we, as the body, would be perfected in unity. Have you been part of a church, and maybe in the past, where there was a horrible split? See, the greatest testimony of our disunity and our failure to walk with Christ is disunity in the body. That's it. See, because he says that is our testimony to the world. So the world will know you sent me and love them as, that word in Greek, as, it's like an equal sign. He's praying to the Father and he says that they will be perfected, we will be perfected in unity so that the world outside, maybe someone who moseys into this place on a Sunday, and they see the unity that we have, the love that we have. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? I've never heard anyone say that before. Or you've heard people that have said, oh, Sophia, I'll I'll hit a like on your prayer request on my Facebook. Oh, I'm praying for you now as you're eating drive-through McDonald's. Oh, I'm praying for you now. No, you're not. Are you? See, because if you're not, don't say it. Nobody needs to hear that you're praying because you're not impressing anyone. That's a fast track to wrecking the unity within the body. It's a lie to that person, and it's a lie to God. If you're not praying or you haven't already prayed, don't say it. That's our testimony to the world. And Jesus says, you sent me and loved me as equal to the love that you have for them. God's love for you is exactly the same. It's equal. I don't know if you're a mathematician or not. I was kind of bad at it. But equal means equal, right? One is one. Two is two. Three is three. Jesus, the love that the Father has for him is equal to the love that he has for the bride. Are you in 
or are you out? Galatians 5.14. Paul says that the entire law is fulfilled in one word. It's fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. You think, well, that's not one word. Let's love your neighbor as yourself. That's five. It's one concept. It's one thought. It's indivisible. It's that one word from God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God with everything. Abandon everything that you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus goes on to say, there's no greater commandment. One commandment. Two aspects. See, if you love God, you don't have any choice but to love people. Well, my relationship with Jesus is a private thing. Says who? Where, where is that? Someone show me that in here. Where does it say that your relationship with Jesus is a private thing? Nowhere. It's not in here. And if you can show me, then I'll resign as pastor. I'll step down today. It doesn't exist. See, it's not what we've been saved from that's the most important thing. It's what we've been saved for, and that's unity in the body. And our testimony to a lost and broken world is what rocks them. Do we have one? Do we care? Are you praying? Do you have a passion and a desire to serve others? Or is it just to be a religious person on Sundays? You can't truly love God if you don't love people, and you can't truly love people if you don't love God. And that's why Paul said the entire law is summed up in this. Love your neighbor. Because you cannot love your neighbor if you don't love God. There are lots of people out there doing humanitarian stuff. I'm going to feed you for a day. I'm going to give you a burrito under a bridge. That's nice, but you've done nothing, nothing to change that person's eternal destination. Now they're going to be somebody who's well-fed on their way to hell. Now it's going to be somebody who's got a warm blanket on their way to hell to burn in a lake of fire for all eternity. I, I don't need a blanket if I'm on my way to hell. If I'm going to burn in a lake of fire for all eternity, what I need is Jesus. I need him to reveal himself to me. So when we go out into the world, are we telling people the gospel? Jesus is king. That's it. And you say, well, I didn't go to seminary like you did, pastor. Can you all say this with me right now? Jesus is king. One more time. Jesus is king. That's the gospel. If you just said it, then you could tell people about it. The gospel isn't how they respond to it. It's not whether or not they do. If you walk up to someone and you say in Walmart, you say, hey, uh, uh, um, yeah, I don't know if you're going to buy those green beans or those green beans, but Jesus is king. I love you. And then you can run away. And they're like, what just happened? You just preach the gospel. You just preach the gospel. Next slide, Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing selfish or prideful, but in humility esteem others as superior to yourselves. Man, I'm only on my second page and I've got four. I better pick it up. So when we say our vision as a church is spirit-led church, revealing Christ through unity and worship, it's not singing here on Sundays. This is 1% of your week, right? Are you a one percenter? 
Are you a 1% Christian? I get dressed up. I look good. I act nice. I'm respectful. Hi, Shelly. Hey, Adam, how are you? And then when I go home, you rotten kid, shut your mouth. Go to your room. Talk poorly to your spouse, people that are employers or employees. Gossip, slander, dissension, division, all the works of the flesh. Are you a one percenter? See, because what Jesus called those people was hypocrites. Does your life look more like that? Or is it a life that's pouring over abundant fruit? Are we hide-and-go-seek Christians? Are you the kind of Christian that says, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go to church today, and I'm going to see whether or not anybody notices. If I don't show up, I'm going to check to see whether or not Mike noticed that I'm, I wasn't there. And if Mike doesn't call me, how dare he? How dare he not notice that I wasn't there? As members of the body, do you think your kidney ever does that? I'm just going to stay in bed today. I know I'm a kidney and I'm supposed to filter things out, but I'm just going to stay in bed. I'm going to see whether or not the heart and the brain and the rest of the body figures out that I stayed in bed. I'm going to play hide-and-go-seek. I'm going to slip under the covers. I'm going to see whether or not anybody notices that there's no kneecap today. With my leg flip-flops back and forth, yeah, I'm going to notice. See, so if you're playing hide-and-go-seek and nobody notices, maybe it's not them. Maybe it's you. Maybe it was the enemy that whispered and said, you know what, you should stay home today. Maybe you should play the game. Maybe you should see whether or not anybody notices. And if nobody notices, if I don't have a heart, I'm going to notice. If I don't have eyes, I'm going to notice. If I can't hear my wife tell me in the morning, honey, I love you, or take out the trash, whatever it is, if I can't hear, I am going to notice. So if nobody notices that you're not there, maybe it's you. Ouch, pastor, how could you say that? I don't know if you've heard of a man named John F. Kennedy, not junior, senior. He was the 35th president of the United States of America. And in his inaugural address, January 20th of 1961, he said something, and this isn't me pitching a particular political party. It's a statement that reflects the truth of the gospel and who we are as the body and the bride of Christ. He said, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And see, when we take that truth and that principle and we apply it to the body and the bride of Christ, what's your part? What is your part? Ask not what the bride can do for you. Ask what you can do for the bride. How can I serve you, Shelly? Is it because your son's sick? Because maybe there's a bacteria-eating, flesh-eating thing that's tearing him up, and he's on the risk of dying, and all you say is, Pastor Kevin, would you pray? Absolutely. I will pray. If it's because you're homeless, maybe you need a place to live, and I say, would the parsonage work for you? Yeah, that would be helpful because I've got nowhere to go. Maybe it's because financially things are really difficult. Maybe it's because fill in the blank, and instead of us saying, I'm going to sit over there and I'm going to say, hey, gimme, 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 gimme. What we're going to say is, how can I serve you? 
How are we doing? How are we doing on names? If you look around the congregation, those of you who are visitors today, you're exempt. I'm not going to have a quiz about everyone's name. You get a pass. But if you come back next week, you better know at least 50%. 50%, bare minimum, or you're out of here. How are you doing on names? I'm not good with names. That means you're not good about caring about people. Because the sweetest word that they will ever hear is their name. Adam, I love you, brother. And I knew your name the first time I didn't even meet you. We were in Portland, Oregon. And it was probably the one Sunday in the past three years that I wasn't here. And Adam and Brittany came. And there was a guest preacher And Adam reached out to me, I reached out to him, and we stayed in contact for another year until finally, I just can't shake it, the Lord's calling us to poetry. I didn't want to be in poetry, and I said, it's okay, I didn't either. (laughs) But now that I'm here, I don't want anyone to take offense, you're my family. And Christine and I just put our house on the market because we want to be here. We want to be here in this community because this is where God has called us. How are we doing on names and phone numbers? Who have you asked about their struggles? The last time you prayed for someone to show us their needs, their hurts, their heart for ministry, asked if we could have the privilege of washing their feet. It's funny to me how some of the most basic and simple things in Scripture, what we do is we say, oh, that's just a metaphor. Jesus doesn't want me to literally wash someone's feet. Are you sure? How about if we err on the side of doing what Jesus said? How about if we err on the side of doing exactly what Jesus said? And then when he calls us home and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then there's going to be those people that are the goats that are, but didn't we prophesy? Didn't we do miracles? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And Jesus says to them, from Matthew, I never knew you. See, you didn't want to give a cup of water to somebody that was thirsty, but I told you to. Oh, well, it was, it was really hard. It was really hard for me to walk over to the fridge or to the sink and, oh, yeah, I don't have any disposable plastic cups. I wouldn't want to give the garbage man one of my, one of my nice coffee cups. Why not? Why not? Wouldn't you rather err on the side of doing what Jesus said for the price of a coffee cup than to enter into a lake of fire for all eternity? Well, I figured Jesus would just understand that I don't give my time or my treasure or my talents, that I don't wash feet, that I don't really love him, that I'm not humble before him, that I've never really considered him my king. I have to get two pages in now in like five minutes. Proverbs 1.7. Scripture tells us that fools loathe correction. Loathe it. They despise it. The fear of the Lord is the genesis. It's the onset. It's the beginning of intimacy with God, with skill. That's wisdom and correction. But fools despise it. In the book of Job, he'd gotten a raw deal, right? Covered with some sort of a skin condition and horrible pain, and what do his friends and his wife do? Adam. 
clearly this is because of your unconfessed sin. Clearly. As I, on my spiritual high horse and soapbox, look down my nose at Adam and say, this is clearly no clue about the spiritual warfare that's going on behind the scenes. Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with you. Maybe. Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with you. And finally, Job gets to a point where he says, that's it. God, I'm going to call you out on this one. Stand before me, God. Stand before me, God, and I'm going to put you on trial. I'm going to put you on trial because I am a righteous man. We wouldn't say that, would we? How dare you take my child? How dare you give cancer to one of my loved ones? How dare you, God? How dare you show up and stand before me and I'm going to put you on trial? Who do you think you are? God shows up and he goes chapter after chapter after chapter convicting Job. And Job goes from being a giant to being this big. And Job says, I just picture him like a little kid with his hands in his pockets and his eyes down to the ground. He says, I'm an idiot. Surely I ran my mouth without understanding things too wonderful for me to comprehend. John 17, 23, we already covered it. So I just want to bring it home, folks. Jesus said that it all boils down to one thing, our unity. That's it. How we doing? How we doing in terms of our unity in the body? Is it about pet projects? Is it about me serving because it makes me feel good? Or is it about me serving because... As Adam said, as I said the day of my salvation, that God blessed me with the gift of faith, I said, God, I will go wherever you want me to go, and I will do whatever you want me to do. And the literal words that came out of my mouth next is the most random, obscure thing that I could think of is I said to God, I'll even sell shoes on the moon. I just couldn't think of anything more random. And I was just like, God, if you want me to sell shoes on the moon, then I will go there for you because you're my king. Will you go to the moon and sell shoes? Will you go wherever it is that your king is calling you to go? See, if your answer is yes, but what Jesus said to those people, you're disqualified. If you're going to look back, if you're going to say, I got to go make sure I take care of my business first. See, because there's all these people who are disqualified. See, my mom and my dad, they're disqualified. Disqualified. When we examine ourselves, are we like Abraham when God says go and Abraham went? God counted it to him as righteousness. The last slide. In the book of Acts, right before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says these words, 
However, you, plural, he's not saying you, Jack, not you, Tanya, not you, Vincent, you, Adam, you, Brittany. He's saying you, disciples, followers of mine who are going to go out and cast those nets that are going to be fishers of men, you will. Can y'all say that with me? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Have you received power? Or is your Christianity and your walk with Christ pathetic, impotent, powerless? Have you received power? Because Jesus didn't say you might. He didn't say I'm slowly going to turn up the dial. He said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will. You will be my martyrs. You will be my testimony. You're going to be my testimony right here in your own backyard. You don't have to go to Africa unless God's calling you. You don't have to go to the very ends of the earth unless the Holy Spirit's leading you. You better go. You better go. You will be. You will have power. You will be my martyrs in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria. See those circles? It starts in your own relationships. Reconcile with mom and dad. Apologize to the people that you've hurt and that you've broken. The people who experienced all of the sin in your life. Don't ask for forgiveness. You apologize. I'm sorry because of my sin, but I've been born again. Jesus is my king. And you just preach the gospel. And then you step into those baptismal waters and you say, I have been raised to walk in newness of life. Have you? Does it really look any different today than it did five years ago? Because if it didn't, what's the newness of life that you're walking in? Well, I go to church more. So did the Pharisees. I dress nicer now. So did the Pharisees. I read the Bible more now. So did the Pharisees. Are you unified in the body and bride of Christ? Are you looking for opportunities to serve to the very fringes of the earth? Let's pray together.